afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's going on? And welcome to another edition of Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack. And I'm here with Luke Smith. And at the time of this recording, we're exactly 100 days away from Notre Dame's season opener in Columbus, Ohio. So we still got a long way to go, but there are plenty of off-season storylines for us to discuss. In the meantime, Luke and I both got to see head coach Marcus Freeman on his cross-country tour, so to speak. Uh, Luke was at the annual Rockney Gala in Chicago, and I got to meet Coach when he spoke to the Notre Dame Club of Los Angeles. So we'll talk about our different experiences at those events. And speaking of L.A., uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our tribal USC. After about eight years of being completely irrelevant amongst the top programs in college football, Lincoln Riley and company are building something over here, whether we like it or not. Um, especially after they picked up last year's Blitnikoff winner, Jordan Addison, out of pit via the transfer portal. But just how quickly are they going to be able to turn things around? We'll get into that, plus a larger discussion about NIL and the state of college football before we close out the show with some listener-submitted questions. We we got some some good ones and some interesting <laughs> ones for sure. But, Luke, let's start with you. As I mentioned, you were at the Rockney Gala in Chicago, uh, one of many, many stops for Coach Freeman over the past month. But uh, how was the gala? Yeah. Uh, so that was, I guess, about two weeks ago. Um, it's a really cool event put on every year by the Notre Dame Club of Chicago. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, my dad and his friends would always go. I actually ran into a few of them there that night. So that was kind of funny. Um, but it's also funny. I went last year and Marcus was also the keynote speaker back then when he was just the defensive coordinator. So I was a little surprised that he did it two years in a row, but I guess that's what happens when you're named the new head coach. But I think I may have told this story on the pod at some point last year, but it was announced during that gala that he was going to be lining out to take pictures for the next hour. And I was about three feet away from him when this happened. And the look on his face, when he looked at his wife, basically said, you got to be shitting me. Like (laughs) I got to take pictures with guys. Um, There were no such photo ops this time around, actually. In fact, Marcus and his wife spent most of the time in, in a VIP room at, we are the Chicago cultural center, in the loop in this VIP room, it was him, uh, Katie Lonergan, Hunter Biven, Cole Komet, and, and our friend Matt Fortuna from The Athletic. Sidebar, I was able to speak with Matt for a while and catch up with him. Uh, had some great Mike Bray stories from the ACC meetings. Let's just say Mike Bray seems like he as loose as he's ever been. Um, <laughs> as for Marcus, uh, Chris Zorich moderated the speaking portion of the event for the second year in a row. To be brutally honest, he's kind of hard to follow, and uh, almost all of it just felt like a plug for his own podcast. But I I will say that Marcus does a really tremendous job relating to his audience at all times. Uh, I I think a lot of it, I'm trying to figure out how to frame this because there's people like us who just consume this content all the time. So it seems like it might be like almost regurgitated. Like it's like, all right, I've seen or heard this before. Totally. Um, But then there's there's a bunch of old people that like, 
probably have lives, so they don't like actually, you know, follow it as closely. Um, I, I think the thing that he said that was most interesting to me was basically saying it's unacceptable that Notre Dame only had two draft picks last year and Cincinnati had nine. Um, he said that at one point, which now I think some of us would argue that Notre Dame could have had four or five draft picks and the two that did get drafted probably slipped further than they should have. But the point remains, I, I thought that was interesting to concede that. Um, and then I don't know why everybody is so obsessed with this mass thing, but people are really excited <laughs> about the game day mass return. Cause and they're Catholic. I just like- think that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, but if you go back four years ago or five years ago, whenever it was that Brian Kelly decided to push the mass to Friday night to get his players more sleep, it was widely lauded as this great strategic move. So how quickly people forget. How many people were at the Rock? I mean, I feel like in Chicago, there's going to be way more Notre Dame people. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. The venue last year was a lot bigger, actually, and they didn't even use the whole thing. But I would say last year there were maybe like, uh, let's say 300 people. This one was hard to tell because it wasn't that big of a venue, but I would guess somewhere between 500 and 700 maybe. Holy shit. Um, yeah, that, that that honestly could be off, but like we were it trying to sense. ballpark, and I think that's probably right around where it was. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Chicago is Notre Dame West, essentially. Far less people at the Notre Dame Club of Los Angeles event, so there was a photo op with him. I accidentally ended up being one of the first people to actually take a picture with them. So <laughs> I showed up stag and I'm walking around, just sort of walk around the hotel. The, nothing has really started. They just got the bar going. And then this woman starts waving me over and I was like, what, what does she want? She's like, hey, coach Freeman is in this room. If you want to talk to him, I was like, oh, I don't know. He's probably busy. He's probably hiding out in there. And like yeah. before this whole thing starts, he's like, no, come on. So I go in there, and then I run into uh, Katie Lonergan, the associate athletic director, a friend of the program. And so I started talking to her for a little bit, and then I saw Coach Freeman. He's talking to his wife, and then the picture started. And she's like, do you want to take a picture? So I'm like, probably the second person to go. I keep it real quick. (laughs) And he goes, well, that was fast. And I turned around. I go, yeah, I saw the line. I'll I'll keep it moving. And then he sort of (laughs) laughed. And then by that point, like I'd literally been in there for a minute, maybe two and now the line is already out the door once people got word that pictures were available. So the event, like you said, it's pretty much everything we've already heard before. I was also wondering that because the amount of people there, most of them were pretty old. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, had they all heard this? I mean, pretty much yeah. every question or answer that Freeman gave, we had heard or read about in some capacity over the past few months. So that part wasn't that surprising. Did they show that? recruiting video that um, like it's been on Twitter a little bit. I think it actually was like Keon Keeley's mom that first tweeted it out when it kind of blew up. Did they show that at that event? You know what I'm talking they, about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know they, that, you know that I, I'm in that video. They showed it at, uh, at the are you actually? Chicago. Yeah. Cause I'm walking across the stage behind Jalen Smith as he's getting. His oh, diploma. okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. I didn't catch that. Um, yeah. that's hilarious though. No, they didn't show it. There wasn't a projector. Um, it was really just one guy from the alumni association a- asking him questions. The mass thing got a huge, sounds, applause. sounds better than Zorich. So <laughs> yeah, this guy, he, he kept it moving, which was nice. And then, you know, you got some questions from the crowd. Personally, I wanted to ask him if he were to do NFL combine bench press competition, like amongst the active roster, where he would land. I'm thinking he's in the top 25%. Like he looks like he could realistically suit up and play football today. Yeah. And whether he wants to admit it or not, he looks huge. Most of the questions were pretty normal stuff. They asked about NIL, which we'll get to here in a bit. 
Um, but you're right, the mask thing. People love that. Good yeah. for him. I mean, if that if also like it's it. <laughs> it's kind of interesting to me because it was like clearly such a impactful thing for Freeman on his recruiting visit back when he was getting recruited. But is he even Catholic himself? I'm not sure he is. I don't know. I, he's definitely religious. Okay. He said Still, his favorite yeah, spot on campus is uh, like the the sign attached to the Basilica where it's God, Country, Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, that's a good point. I don't know. He hasn't really been too outspoken about his Catholic faith. Or maybe we've just completely missed it. We've been too focused yeah, on everything, everything else. Everything else. Yeah. Um, one thing, this has sort of made the rounds. He mentioned the fact that Notre Dame has the number one recruiting class. That seems unique in that Brian Kelly never really talked about recruiting rankings other than that one, I guess, offhand comment he made before the Camping World Bowl against Iowa State where he's like, we're trying to get in the top five. I feel like he was reluctant to mention the ranking specifically, um, which other coaches do because, you know, I don't think they're looking at 24-7 or on three, looking at the rankings and being like, these are the guys we want to get. I'm sure they understand how, like, they stack up in that regard. But did you think that was interesting that he's really focused on having, like, the number one class according to these different reports? Because they have their own rankings internally, obviously. Well, yeah, because you're saying, like, no, I don't, like, what's the point that he made? We have the number one class on whatever date it was you were yeah. at, but I want it on December, whatever, National Signing Day. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that college football has changed even in the last like two, three years where there's just such an emphasis on recruiting. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit later that like you kind of have to acknowledge it now. I think that it's just like you kind of need to get these big dogs to have a shot, and especially in this crazy world of NIL and everything. So. Maybe it's just more in the spotlight now and it's more accepted. I, I don't know. Um, but it is it is a, a change from, from what we're used to, I think. Another big takeaway I had just from overhearing other people's conversations is uh, people really don't like Brian Kelly. <laughs> that's, that's been well established on this podcast. But people really, really love Freeman. It's, it's shocking. Like even the Alumni Association leader, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but the guy who's uh, asking the questions of Freeman at the event I went to, Literally said, I've never seen the Notre Dame fans more united about anything than the promotion of Marcus Freeman to be the head coach. And I totally agree. Uh, we talk all the time about how some Notre Dame fans almost make us hate our own team. But everyone seems to be on the same page here with Freeman. And the fact that <laughs> Notre Dame blew a three-touchdown lead in the Fiesta Bowl, people are just willing to completely let that go. And I understand it's his first game. Weird circumstances. Two best players weren't even playing for Notre Dame. But... It does sort of resemble <laughs> the way people used to talk about Jerry Faust. And you sent me this article. Listen, before we get I into know. this. I know. Before we get into this, I know the key difference between Marcus Freeman and Jerry Faust. Faust had never coached at the college level before he was hired as the head coach at Notre Dame. He was the head coach of Archbishop Moeller. Uh, well, he turned them into a high school football powerhouse in Cincinnati. Coached them for 18 years, then becomes a Notre Dame head coach. Obviously didn't pan out. For Jerry. But <laughs> there are some uh, troubling similarities. Compar- yeah, similarities Parallels? between the yeah. two. And you sent me the article, so I'll let you tee it up. So I think I sent this to you maybe the end of March. And I, we've never talked about it on here. But as I was reading this, it was like just one night where I just, I don't know, I was in some weird rabbit hole and somehow I got onto Jerry Faust stuff. And I was like, whoa, like. <laughs> I'm hearing all of this right now. Uh, first off, 
this article is by John Feinstein, who is like probably enemy number one of the program. Like, I, I don't think I hate a guy in the national media more besides like Stu Mandel. He hates um, Notre Dame yeah. publicly. Like, he at least is open about. Yeah, he the loves fact Mike Bray, but he he hates Notre Dame. But anyways, this is a 1981 article from the Washington Post with the title being "Fighting Irish Eyes or Smiling as Spirited Faust Takes Over." Um, there are some just ridiculous quotes throughout this thing, honestly. Uh, there's one from Digger Phelps saying, everyone says Jerry's been on a honeymoon, but I think people will be dancing at this wedding reception for a lot of years to come. There's also a, a notion, and this is just Feinstein, so it is what it is, but he says Notre Dame people speak in terms of eras. The Rockney era, the Leahy era, the era of era. When they speak of divine, they speak of six years. Now, it is year one of the Faust era. So, you know, Freeman era, Free Panera, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, <laughs> sidebar, between that and, like, everything about his portrayal and Rudy, Dan Devine really gets no respect. He won a fucking national championship. Like, like what? what is the deal there? I, I, granted, that's well before our lifetime, but it's it's just insane to me. Yeah, he wasn't really, like, a Notre Dame guy who was never really embraced in that way and in this article they call him a recluse he was secretive he didn't embrace the notre dame way these are all things we've heard before about another previous head coach Mm -hmm. we're not saying this we're not saying that marcus freeman is going to turn out to be uh jerry fowler we're not saying it's more so just the way that people talk about a first-time head coach yeah and again like marcus freeman has a bunch of qualifications to be the head guy we're not saying that let's make that abundantly clear (laughs) but it's interesting to me how the fans are so enamored with him, and eventually that's going to change. Like, eventually he's going to make mistakes, and people will start to turn on him. But right now, the leash seems very long. So, anyway, they're both from Dayton, come in great recruiters. At the time that Faust started, Notre Dame had the number one class in the country. First time head coaches, they're players' coaches, and they both replaced successful coaches who were disliked by many because of their personalities. Uh, this is a great. This is a great quote from the article. Everywhere you go on this campus, there's evidence of affection for Jerry Faust, not because he is 1-0 and the Fighting Irish are ranked number one in the nation going into Saturday's game in Ann Arbor, not because he had the best recruiting year in the nation, not even because he is clearly an excellent football coach. The reason is simple. He is not Dan Devine. Where Devine craved privacy and often shunned Notre Dame and its people, Faust revels in those people and the institution. Sound familiar? Yeah. You know what else sounds familiar? There was a note about Era never receiving invitations to attend practices when Devine, when, uh, Devine was the coach, even though he lived in South Bend. And Persegian's quoted in the article saying, I felt excommunicated. Suddenly, I was literally locked out of something I had been part of for 11 years. I made it clear I had no intention to ever return to college coaching, but Dan thought I was hiding behind every telephone pole in town. The first thing Jerry Faust did when he came to town was call me and ask me to come to practice. That hadn't happened for six years. He's brought the family back together. I mean, how much has been made of this spring game reunion thing that Notre Dame did? Uh, Pete Sampson wrote an article the other day where this guy who I'm pretty sure his name in the article was Jim Smithberger, who apparently played on the 1966 national championship team. I'm pretty convinced that that's actually just a fake name for my neighbor in my condo complex, Tom Reynolds, who is just like the most anti-Notre Dame, Notre Dame alum of all time, um, who's also on that team as a backup quarterback. No and and the, the Yeah. And the quote is, we showed up uh, for South Bend for the 55-year anniversary last season. They felt ignored by the school because there was no dinner in the monogram room. 
no observance during the game and only a spot in the parking lot for a tailgate. And the guy was so pissed saying, we felt slighted. I and several other members of the team stated at the fact that we'd not go back to Notre Dame. And then he goes on to say, when you consider what Marcus Freeman did inviting the players back to Notre Dame, I think I will reconsider my decision. It's bringing the family back together. I, I don't know. Just like when you read this, it's, it's kind of scary. Once again, we are not saying that he is going to be Jerry Faust. And this is, I guess, probably just how history repeats itself. Um, I would honestly like to go back and see what people said about Brian Kelly when he left Cincinnati and got to Notre Dame. Like, I don't really remember um, what that was like. He's a perfect fit. He was considered to be perfect in every way. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, maybe this is just how it is. But, yeah, it is a little jarring to see some of those parallels. Yeah, and it's jarring, but it's also a way where, like, Freeman can learn from this, and it seems that he's been very open to learning from a bunch of different people. He seems to be very self-aware about the fact that he is a first-time head coach. And I think with Faust, obviously we weren't alive for this, but listening to Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated, who actually was covering the team at the time, basically said that Faust liked to blame a lot of other people, sort of deflected all responsibility, where that doesn't seem to be the case for Freeman. And if anything... Notre Dame and like the program itself can sort of look back at these mistakes. I'm not saying that Freeman is going to be like constantly comparing himself to Jerry Faust by any stretch, but I do think there are ways that Notre Dame can learn and and sort of change their approach with a first time head coach. The main thing is, yeah, right now we're still in the honeymoon phase with Marcus Freeman. It's going to end. It's going to end and Freeman could be still very successful at Notre Dame. But if you're a head coach, especially a first one, first year one, you're going to make mistakes and people are going to turn on you. When that happens, it'll be really interesting to see why it happens. You know, we could guess, but we won't really see until the team takes the field this fall. But it's interesting, and uh, it'll be something to follow as the season goes along and as Freeman sort of, like, gets comfortable in the role. And it's not just new head coach. I'm just going to introduce myself everywhere. He actually has more than just one game to fall back on, and and people can really look at him as the head coach in Notre Dame. Without a doubt, um, and who knows, that – that moment of turn could could occur week one in, in the horseshoe. So for all we know, it, it could be rather quick rather than later. So we'll see. Now, if Notre Dame does beat Ohio State, the, I can't even imagine. Yeah. The reaction to that and how Freeman will be talked about will be insane. Um, but rather than talk about the first game of the season, let's talk about the last game of the regular season because uh, USC has been very active this offseason. Obviously, they hired away Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, and ever since that happened, he's done a complete facelift on the USC program. And we haven't really gone in depth on USC much in this podcast, but I think you and I share the same sentiment about the program. Lincoln Riley has reinvigorated my hatred for USC and also moving to Los Angeles and living with a USC alum and and dealing with so many other USC alums now that I didn't really have to deal with in the past. It's invigorated my hate for USC. It's more than Michigan. It's more than any other team that Notre Dame considers to be their rival and I'm already counting down the days until Notre Dame uh, plays USC in the Coliseum the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's not close for me. Uh, I've, I've always, always despised them. And maybe it's just because of when we grew up, when we did, where we lost seven years in a row to USC and like for periods of time, never thought we would beat them in our lifetime again. Um, Michigan is whatever. Like they're, yeah, they're scummy, but like we, we don't even play them that often anymore. We play these guys every year. Um, I fucking think they're spoiled brats. I hate them. Like, I just, I just can't stand that institution. It's a wretched institution. Uh, so I am very excited to see them potentially be actually somewhat capable this year because 
listen, it's been fun kicking their ass the last couple of years, but just have some respect for yourself. It's been, <laughs> it's, it's been ugly. It has. And it's way more fun to beat them when they're good. Yeah. And Notre Dame hasn't played USC in a top 10 matchup since that 2005 game. What was 2017? That was like uh, 11 versus 9. Let's see. Notre Dame back score. Notre Dame was 11. Oh, no, they were 12th. Okay. But I think they were, they might have been favored, weirdly. Yeah. And then, yeah, Notre Dame beat them 49 to 14. That was with Sam Darnold. I guess I'm curious what your expectations are for them this year because obviously the big news they got Caleb Williams from Oklahoma. They got Jordan Addison, the Bulletnikoff winner last year. And I guess someone who hasn't been talked about as much, but is still a very good player, is Travis Dye, the running back from Oregon. Each of those guys is top five in their position group nationally. Even with an average offensive line, like they're going to score. Lincoln Riley is an offensive guru. He's been able to win games with a super high-powered offense, but a pretty suspect defense pretty much throughout his entire time at Oklahoma. So I saw Mark Schleybaugh had them, I think, like fourth in his preseason top 25 rankings. I think how that's does Schle- insane. How does Schleyball still get paid to talk about college football? Like, I don't think he follows it anymore. He just like puts <laughs> shit out. I mean, it got some clicks, that's for sure, because I think a lot of people were surprised, and then I had to hear about it from the USC fans that I'm around here. Do those people exist, by the way? Because when I went out there the last time, there were none of them at the game. Uh, when was that? 2018, when I went 4-8. and eight. Okay, yeah. They, I think they all just disappeared. They don't, they're, they're California sports fans. They don't pay attention. Yeah, they sort of disappeared into the woodwork, and then the moment that Lincoln Riley If anybody from hired, California is listening to that, it's not directed at you, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, now they're saying college football playoff contention. And I will say, like, with Cristobal leaving Oregon, I think Dan Lanning will be a good head coach at Oregon. USC doesn't even play them this year. So they could face off in the Pac-12 championship. But I think Utah comes in as the favorite in the Pac-12. And other than Notre Dame and Utah, USC's only, like, moderately tough game might be Fresno State. Yeah. So I think USC is going to go 10-2 this year. I know some people are saying 8-4 and and that it's going to take a while. I don't really know if it's going to take that long to turn things around with the schedule that they have. Look at Michigan State last year. They brought in you know some 20-plus transfers when Mel Tucker came in, and after they had an at abysmal 2020. That could be a good comp because they also let up like 600 yards through the air. Right. They're, they had the worst secondary in college football. Like so, Ohio yeah. State absolutely smoked them and ran them off yeah. the field, but they were still a good team and competitive team in the Big Ten. And I'm not going to lie, they scare me. I had this take leading up to the draft that the only reason Kenny Pickett was going to be drafted as high as he did was because of Jordan Addison. Like, let me just run through you some of Addison's 2021 stats, a hundred receptions, nearly 1600 yards receiving 17 touchdowns. Then you add in the fact that his offensive corner coordinator, Mark Whipple, he resigned from Pitt. He went to be the OC at Nebraska and his wide receivers coach, Brennan Marion, he left to go to Texas. I actually thought Addison might end up at Texas for that reason. But I'm not going to lie. I'm a little torn because as much as I hate Addison going to USC, it was reported by Pete Thamel that Pat Narduzzi called Lincoln Riley multiple times, very angry, very upset. So while I'm disappointed that now Notre Dame has to face off against another elite receiver, hearing that Pat Narduzzi was that upset and he felt compelled to call Lincoln multiple times and accuse him of tampering, even if he did tamper, a world in which Pat Narduzzi is very upset is one I like to live in. Yeah, no, I totally agree. He he can go to hell. So, um, 
<laughs> but yeah, a lot of people are buying this this hype. I don't know if you saw this stat, but over the last month, Caesars has taken the most money of any school to win the national championship on USC. In fact, USC's captured 22% of the total dollars bet to win the college football national championship over the past month. That's a lot. I mean, people are pretty stupid, so that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but that's a lot. It's also probably when you look at their yeah, when you look valuable. at their schedule, when you look at the schedule too, it's like it's it's feasible to say they could go 12 and out, 13 and out. I mean, their their schedule is so easy. A lot of people bring up the offensive line and, and I agree that like they have no depth there. They didn't sign a single offensive line recruit in this past class and they've got some guys coming back. They got a transfer from Virginia. They don't have to be great. Hell, Notre Dame had one of the worst offensive lines in the country last year, and they went 11-1 and with a very easy schedule. Yeah, they almost lost to Toledo. Yeah, and they (laughs) did not have Caleb Williams. They did not have Jordan Addison. They did not have Travis Dye, so it's really not unrealistic. They had Williams. He's better than Travis Dye. Yeah, that's true. But you see my point here, and now their defense, they got some guys. They got Corey Foreman, who was hurt a bunch last year, but when he came out in the 2021 class, I think he was like number one overall recruit, number two, depending yeah. on where you looked at. He had two and a half sacks as a true freshman, and despite missing, I think he like five games. They've got uh, Domani Jackson, who's a true freshman corner, early enrolled. He's the number 10 player overall in the class of 2022. So I don't think they're going to be competing for a national championship, but they're the villain again. Okay, and, yeah. and they, like no doubt, I don't think it's just Notre Dame either. I think a lot of people in college football really hate USC because they brought Caleb Williams, they brought Mario Williams over from Oklahoma as well, the re- wide receiver who's highly recruited, and that aspect is pretty similar to the Pete Carroll days where they were definitely the villain of college football. Everyone hated them, but now are they going to be good enough to sort of back that up? I guess that part is yet to be seen. Right, and. And I think, unfortunately, the answer is that eventually, probably yes. Um, But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I I guess we're just talking about this in May as a warning to let you know, like, hey, these scumbags, cheaters, everything, all the above, like they are going to be back very soon. Like, you know, when I I don't know, just it's, it's a warning. Just be ready for that, because things have been pretty easy just beating up on a shit sack USC program in the last couple of years. But it's not gonna be like that for that much longer, I don't think. Yeah, and you mentioned cheaters. The problem is cheating is legal now, or what was mm-hmm. considered cheating is now legal in the world of NIL. NIL continues to dominate the conversation throughout the offseason, and that was only um, heightened by the feud between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. Um, unless you've been living under a rock, I'm sure you've heard by now. Nick Saban called out Texas A&M by name in a similar speaking convention style thing that Freeman's been doing. Although this was like the elite of the elite Alabama <laughs> boosters when he went on this little rant and he called out Texas A&M. He said that they bought every single recruit and that Alabama did it the quote right way, but that might have to change now because everyone else is doing it. Um, personally, I think Saban's comments there were, were pointed and we, we can get into that in a second, but whether we like it or not, it's here. We can complain about what the NCAA did or didn't do to sort of regulate it. But it is what it is now. It also impacts the transfer portal. That's a big reason probably why Addison went to USC. But the way I look at it is Lane Kiffin said everyone is doing it, and he's right. Notre Dame is not excused from that. Notre Dame is definitely involved in some way. They don't have the number one recruiting class in the country by accident. But now in this world of NIL, I think people are like trying to figure out Wait, is Notre Dame willing to pay up? I think they are. 
Like, I think Notre Dame is very competitive. Are they going to be like Texas A&M in the space? No. But I think they're, they're more active than people are giving them credit for. Yeah, I don't know what I think about that. I, I think they're active in it, but I, I don't think it's super – I don't think it's near the top of their priorities as it pertains to recruiting. I, I think – I mean, Jimbo Fisher is a coward. He's always been a coward. Everybody <laughs> knows this. Uh, he's – like, it's – I don't know why he took such offense to this. Like, buddy, it's – who the fuck wants to go to College Station? Nobody. Um, like, unless you're getting millions of dollars. So, I don't know. Um, I, I do think – like, I, I don't remember who said this, but – it was a recruit that wasn't named, but basically the idea was that he came to Notre Dame on a visit and they had like an NIL package or like, you know, a set of ideas listed out for him. And he's like, I'm actually not really that interested in that, which they're like, Oh, okay. So in that case, it then doesn't become a point of emphasis. Um, but I think like, obviously you have to monitor it, but I don't think it's at the top because let's, let's face it. Like, what are really the NIL opportunities you're going to get in South Bend outside of, like, if you want to work in investment banking and not go to the NFL? Like, like what am I going to tell you? Like, yeah, you can work at the fucking Studebaker. Like, yeah. you can, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you want like, a six-week internship in the summer at Deloitte? We've got yeah, you. We'll yeah, get you we a little you. bonus. Yeah, Drew Pine's actually going to be your mentor. So, I don't, like, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Bijan Robinson, the running back at Texas. He got a, the Lambo a thing, deal right? with the Lamborghini dealership in uh, Austin, Texas. Can you imagine? So yeah, we'll get driving you. a Lambo <laughs> in South Bend. Yeah, we'll actually just we'll uh, we'll do a a, a deal with uh, Studa Bagels, not Studa Baker, and it's the shittiest bagel place in South Bend. <laughs> but you can get them for free and just put it on your Instagram. Like like, there's not a whole lot to advertise there. I'm sorry. We'll actually give you free wings at Brothers Wing Night. Isn't it like twenty five cents a wing anyway? Yeah, but we got you. Yeah, and there, there's no promise that the wings are ever actually going to come out, but like they're free if they do. Yeah, put on a t shirt. We'll give you a couple hundred bucks. Um, I personally love the Jimbo saving thing, and I agree with you. Like, I don't think anyone believes a word that Jimbo says about like how they didn't buy any recruits or anything yeah. like that. He at least has the NIL collective to sort of like wash his hands of it. And he can say, well, I didn't like I didn't pay him, but he knows what's going on. But I loved how he went back at Saban. And he's got a point about Saban pretending he's holier than thou and that they've always done it the right way. Like, yeah, right, dude. Before NIL was legal, I'm sure that if we dug deep enough, like he suggested that Saban or really just the Alabama program was probably involved in some illegal booster activity uh, even Steve Spurrier chimed in, who every once in a while, he's good for like a, a random quote about the state of college football. And he's like, what did Jimbo say, or what did Saban say that was wrong? Like, why is Jimbo so upset? I think he just loves the opportunity to go at Saban now. He, I mean, he wins one game in a season in which they go eight and four. And now all of a sudden he's trash talking the big dog. Like, that's a little bit much. Spurrier kind of feels like a guy they're going to just start calling in to bring on Fox News like these days. Like, yeah, he's just like he just has some random <clears throat> he doesn't he has no filter whatsoever. Like he comes comes out of nowhere. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I have no problem with what he said back to him. I don't like Jimbo at all. I never have. I dating back to his time in Florida State. I thought he was a coward there when he left, too. Um, so I, I've never liked him. So I, I don't I don't hate seeing either of them getting dragged under the bus. You know, there's also got to be something to the effect that Saban feels the pressure that, like, A&M's coming now. Texas is coming now. They're going to the SEC. Like, it's not going to be maybe as easy as it used to be. So, I, like, the thing that, we're, that we haven't talked about yet is so the video that went viral of Saban 
basically trashing A&M, saying that, you know, they bought all their players. So this was an $1,000 a ticket Alabama right. booster event. And this is the VIP room where it was like 5K a plate, basically. Or I might have flipped those numbers around, but you get the point. It was an no, expensive no, right. night in front of Alabama's biggest boosters. Like, there's always something intentional behind what he's saying. He's saying we need more funds. Yeah, so, he's like, telling them. Like, yeah, Annie so up. yeah, so I I don't know. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, he he shouldn't have singled him out. He probably didn't think it was being recorded. But you got to be aware of that, especially if you make an accusation like that, whether it's right or wrong. But you're right. He's telling those boosters like, hey, they're outspending us over here. We're losing recruits. I need you in the crowd to start paying them. And and the classic save away because, look, he's a genius. He didn't get to where he is by accident. So that's the current state of NIL. And that could sort of segue into Notre Dame's recruiting update. At the time of us recording, uh, four-star running back Jaden Lennar has not yet announced his commitment. But uh, by the time this is released, he's going to be committed to Notre Dame. Can we say that? Um, I think that's the belief. Yeah, and if he isn't, we'll cut this out. None of you will hear it anyway. So (sighs) anyway... This comes uh, a week after four-star Cedric Irvin Jr., one of Notre Dame's earliest commits in the class of 2023. Uh, He decommitted from Notre Dame. I think he pretty much saw the writing on the wall that Notre Dame was still very actively recruiting other running backs despite his commitment. They always wanted to get two in this class. They're going to get one in Lennar, and they're also going at another four-star running back, Jeremiah Love. He is the number 10 running back in the class of 2023, according to the On3 composite. Lennar is also rated above uh, Irvin Jr. Is it Lamar, too? I think it's Lamar. I just looked it up. It's L-I-M-A-R. All right. I was calling him Lamar. It's Lamar. I'm an idiot. Anyway, Lamar is going to commit to Notre Dame. He's a little bit more highly touted than Irvin, and it's unfortunate because Irvin, I think, did everything right. He was openly recruiting on behalf of Notre Dame, so it's unfortunate that he sort of saw the writing on the wall. But Notre Dame is also in the mix for Richard Young, who is the number one running back in the country. I would be stunned. If, if Notre Dame actually got him. Alabama's the heavy favorite, but he's actually going to visit Notre Dame in June. I guess the fact that they're even in the mix is is good in its own right. Yeah, it's impressive for sure. I mean, there's no way he ends up there, but it's, it's kind of cool to talk about at least. Yeah, that's true. I guess being involved, like being invited to the party, I guess is kind of cool. Um, who, actually, I actually saw this on the boards a couple weeks ago. It's not a lot of good stuff that comes out of there, but this one was a good one. Somebody made the analogy that it's basically like, some hot girl agrees to go on a date with you. And then they say like, you know, like this is great. I just don't see a future, which is fine because then there like might be other attractive girls. You're like, all right, what's going on with that? (laughs) I may need to check that out. Like she's going with him. (laughs) Yeah. Like what's, what's he got? I gotta, I gotta see what's going on there. So it might in tune, you know, draw more like high level prospects to Notre Dame. So I I guess so. That's an interesting thought. Notre Dame is probably still going to land two running backs. They, they do seem to be the favorite to land Jeremiah Love. That would be that'd be a pretty good running back uh, haul if they get a Lamar and Love. And since we're doing a recruiting update, Dante Moore mentioned. Who's that? He's, he's not committed to Notre Dame yet. Um, he actually continues to take official visits elsewhere. A lot of people assumed he was going to be coming for one of the big official visit weekends in June that Notre Dame is having, which I think is June 10th and June 17th. That's... Uh, that's when uh, Richard Young is going, I think the weekend of the 17th. It was presumed that Dante Moore would come to one of those. It looks like he's going to visit Texas A&M one of those weekends. And he had a great quote as to why. They asked him, why is he going to Texas A&M? And quote, they signed the number one class ever last year. So I want to see how they did it. End quote. I bet you do. 
I yeah, I, 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 I kind of do too. <laughs> I, I want to know too. Let's see how they did it. Wait, hold on. They're buying all the recruits? Let me check that wow. out. I don't blame him at all. Like Some people are getting upset. Like, dude, he's a top 10 recruit nationally. People are probably throwing him millions of dollars. He should listen. He'd be an idiot mm-hmm. if he didn't. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that has sort of been on my mind lately is, you know, that Dante Moore recruitment is just constantly talked about in a way that, honestly, I, I can't remember of any Notre Dame recruit. But anyway, has the recruitment of Moore overshadowed what Notre Dame has on its current roster in Tyler Buckner? Because we aren't that far removed from Tyler Buckner being the highly touted quarterback recruit that was supposed to get Notre Dame over the hump. And it seems like that sentiment has been lost by a lot of Notre Dame fans, despite the fact that like he he played his true freshman year. He didn't ever take over the role as a starter, but he certainly showed flashes that he could be a really, really good college football quarterback. And everything we've heard out of the Goog is that Notre Dame is still very high in him. So why have people just sort of moved on and sort of dismissed Buckner as, as the guy who could win Notre Dame a national championship? I don't know. I, I guess people like to live in an idealistic world where some, by the way, I saw Dante Moore turn 17 this week. So like for a long time, it was the 16 year old kid was going to save their alma mater from, you know, or bring them to football glory. So I don't know why, but that's just a thing. I, I think like, it's like with anything you, you get a new car and then it's a really nice car. You like driving it around and then you see something else. It's like, Oh, I kind of want that one instead. Uh, I, I don't know. Like you just you kind of maybe miss that what is in front of you is a really good thing too, and maybe you haven't fully explored that yet. But that's pretty much all I can offer to that because I think you're right. I think it has gotten he has gotten overshadowed and like, hey, that could be a really nice surprise this year if he tears it up and people are like, oh yeah, I forgot this guy's actually supposed to be yeah. really fucking good. Yeah, he was supposed to be the guy. It sort of reminds me of like uh, how people cover the NBA and in free agency in particular where there's so much hype in the summer about guys moving around and then like something new, a new star going to a different place. And then you start thinking about all these different things and then it doesn't really pan out that much in teams like, you know, the Warriors with guys who they've drafted and built up. They're the team that's likely going to the finals. And then the Celtics, on the other hand, with Tatum and Brown. Like, don't get me wrong, these teams make free agency acquisitions, but usually the best teams are built within. Like, just ask the Brooklyn Nets. That's just what it reminds me of. Don't get me wrong, Dante Moore is a very, very elite quarterback. Um, but there's also been a bunch of high school recruits, top quarterback recruits, uh, a la Brandon Wimbush, who come in with a lot of hype and they just don't work out for whatever reason. Like uh, if you yeah. go back and look at the recruiting rankings, there's a bunch of top quarterbacks who don't pan out. And I just feel like now people are just forgetting about Buckner. Th- that's at least how I'm interpreting it. But I don't know. I'm still very high on him. And there was nothing that he did last year that makes me think like he can't be a really good quarterback. But I don't know. That's just how I sort of feel about it. No, I, I totally agree, and, and that is a good point about, like, maybe fans just feel they've been burned too many times by some of these guys not panning out. But, listen, a lot of those guys didn't play as true freshmen in any capacity that didn't pan out. So, he did. He played a lot. So, I don't know. All right. Uh, should we move on to questions here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, I'll read off the first one, and then you will we'll trade it off. All right, this one comes from at Drew Brennan 77 which position group do you feel most comfortable about and which position group do you feel least comfortable about heading into the summer? It's a good one. Um, so I think most comfortable is kind of maybe not an easy one, but because there, there are a couple of positions that I feel pretty strongly about, but I think I'm going to go with a defensive line there just because of how deep it is and how talented some of those guys are. 
with Isaiah Foskey and, and, you know, the Adam Alolas as well as I think a lot of people expect Riley Mills to have a big year, Howard Cross, Jacob Lacey. Like it's going to be a good group. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Like there's a reason people are talking about Isaiah Foskey setting the school record for sacks. It's going to be a strong group. Uh, now least comfortable is a little bit trickier and I, um, I'm kind of split here. I, I'm going to go with the wide receivers just because of lack of depth and kind of how it sounds like Joe Wilkins. I don't know if he's going to play this year, honestly. I don't uh, think like he, this, I don't think he's going to play. Yeah. And we all expect Lorenzo styles to take a big leap. He played really well in the Fiesta Bowl, but that's not a guarantee by any, any stretch of the imagination. Like I, I feel like they're kind of without a clear number one receiver right now. Um, now, We've had this in the past where some of these guys have kind of blown up in their last year at Notre Dame. You know, Miles Boykin, Javon McKinley come to mind, even Kevin Austin to an extent. Maybe Braden Lindsey can finally put it together. And, and you got to kind of hope that Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas can provide something. Um, and then you got to hope Tobias Merriweather. But, like, did you notice the amount of times I said hope there? Like, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that that's makes me feel kind of uncertain. So I think that's how I would answer that. I would also consider the special teams. Like, I'm very uncomfortable about oh, them, too. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know. That's But I think hopefully that's not going to cost us a game. It could, but I'm just I'm, – I'm more concerned about the receivers, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm going to agree on the defensive line being the most comfortable because you've got the star in Isaiah Foskey, like could be a first-round pick. But then they're just loaded at every starting spot. Jason Adamiola, Justin Adamiola, Riley Mills, I think is going to have a really good year. And then if even if one of those guys got hurt, I feel confident enough in the guys behind them that they could come in and, and do a fine job. We've talked ad nauseum about the receivers, so I'm going to go with something different. Uh, I really worry about the defensive backs as a whole. Um, what we've heard about Brandon Joseph in spring is really encouraging, but just looking at the receivers that Notre Dame is going to face this year, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's the part that scares me the most, like Jackson Smith and Chippa. We've already talked about Jordan Addison. They play C.J. Stroud. They play Caleb Williams. There's other guys on the schedule, too. I just really worry about that because – I just don't know if, like, if Cam Hart gets hurt and, like, are we going with Tariq Bracey and then we're playing some unproven guys. The thing about the receivers is, like, yes, that might not be great, but at the same time, Notre Dame also has Michael Mayer that can sort of mask the fact that, like, the receivers aren't great, but they still have an elite guy to throw to. Now, for yeah. the DBs, you could say, well, the defensive line is going to be so good. They'll get after the quarterbacks that they face, and that'll make life easier. I agree, but I think at a certain point, like, when you're playing against these guys like Njigba – and Addison. I really worry about them. So we'll see. Um, hopefully that's proven wrong, and hopefully these guys step up, but that's sort of how I feel. All right, you want to move to the next one? I was just going to say Clarence Lewis is having a bounce back junior year. But, oh, yeah, uh, you're but, all on that train. <laughs> I am. Uh, anyways, next one comes from at Spence underscore fence. Uh, any truth it's a Freeman starting to press Father Jenkins on fixing parking? I'll let you take a stab at this first. Have we have we ever explained the parking bit I don't know if we have. Yeah, I think we have maybe okay. maybe early on. But basically, the parking situation at Notre Dame, specifically for students, is horrific. There's, like, none available, and everyone just gets parking tickets all the time. It's the reason why Ronnie Stanley was an elected captain. He, the school vetoed it because he had so many parking tickets accrued and he hadn't paid for. It's ridiculous. There's just none available. And then the Campus Crossroads project just made it even worse, and that mm-hmm. was going on while we were at Notre Dame. And 
what was student parking was given to the construction workers, which I understand. But then there was just practically none. So you would drive to campus if you lived off and then end up walking maybe just as far, if not further, to get to your actual class. So going back to the question, um, I've long said that Notre Dame cannot take themselves seriously as a football program until they get the parking issue resolved. So I would hope. <laughs> I think that's pri- that should be priority number one for Freeman. Enough talk about recruiting. Let's fix the damn parking. Yeah, I, I actually heard that it was specifically baked into his contract that like they're putting aside plans to renovate the Goog and it's actually fixing parking because it's it's a catastrophe right now. Um, as, I, I mean, yeah, it's like it is really bad. And if you you know that if you go there, but I'll never forget during the Notre Dame Boston College game in 2020 when somehow like Rosillo was just hitting on all of these very inside sort of jokes that I thought he might've yeah. had a bug in one of our group chats. I just found it. It was fourth quarter ND BC ND leads 35, 31 BC possession, fourth and goal at the ND one with three seconds on the clock quotes. Injurkovic was really upset that he had left points on his meal plan at Notre Dame. That and student parking was always an issue. I was like, where like, is he getting these? But I don't know. It's, it's a problem. I, I we might need to start a petition. We might have to start a petition if we get anything out of this podcast. It might be that getting the parking situation resolved. It might be the Rosillo thing. It might be Tommy Reese because apparently yeah. they're boys. I, that could be, yeah. Tommy said on Rosillo's podcast that like when he was considering going to LSU with Brian Kelly, he called Ryan Rosillo and asked him about. Yeah. That was sort of super random. That was random. <laughs> okay, this next one is just for you. At AOL email address. I need to know ASAP who each coach would be as a character in Seinfeld. Extremely important. Thanks in advance. I'm going to just remove myself from this one because I don't watch enough Seinfeld. Um, but I believe you do. So I'll just leave this one to you. Yeah. So this is tough with the current coaching staff because I kind of like them all. Um, but like, I think it might be easier with Brian Kelly's last, last staff. How about we just go um, like last five years? You get to pick. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's that's fine. Um, all right, so, so how about can we go last? Can we go twenty twelve on? Yeah, okay, are you trying okay. to get Diaco in this? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I figured where you're going. I mean, like Diaco is a guy that literally makes up his own rivalry trophies and like feels like he tells players about like drinking different animal blood types and just like Dave Durkin out there or DJ Durkin. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, I mean, not quite DJ Durkin, but Didn't I think DJ Durkin I think, make his players watch like animals eating each other to get, them I don't know, but he, up. he did kill a kid. So there's that. Um, but, um, anyways, as I was going to say, I think Diaco is, is the obvious choice as Kramer. I'm going to put Brian Polian as Newman, just kind of this weird guy that just hangs around and like, I'm sorry, I don't mean that Brian, but I, I don't know. Outside of that, this is a really tough one, honestly. Um, you know, I might actually have Brian Kelly as George Costanza, which doesn't feel right, but like just like some of the outbursts feel like very Brian Kelly esque and like kind of a short, stocky guy. Um, so that's what I got there. And then I don't know if I had to cast um, Elaine and, and Jerry here, that would be, it's kind of tricky, to be honest. I don't know that I, um, I didn't give this enough thought clearly. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I truly, I don't think I have an answer to that. Uh, anyways, I feel like, I don't know, maybe would Reese be Jerry 
Sort of. Yeah, maybe he's not very emotional and just kind of has that dry sense of humor. I could see it. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a that's a good question. We might have to might have to write an article on this one. Yes. All right. Sorry, Hurley. We didn't get that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> at Sam B. Bush, if Logan Plants, former Notre Dame offensive lineman, fought a perfect clone of himself, who would win? Uh, I feel like they would just both kick the shit out of each other and just like knock each other out. And like, I don't think that fight would end. Like that's kind it of, wouldn't. if you've ever watched Logan fight in bangle bouts, well, he fight is a generous word because he just basically knocked people out right away. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that fight would ever end. I think the human Logan, not the clone would win because the human is from the Midwest. Okay. Who knows where the lab, if the lab is from the Midwest in which this clone is created, I know Logan Whereas the Midwest is a badge of honor. So so I'm taking human Logan over clone. But they would literally, it'd be like Rocky 2 where they just fight until they both are basically dead. And then one just rises at the last second. And I guess they call him the winner. That's my prediction. Okay. I like that. Um, all right. At Blonde Kuzma, first time caller, long time listener. What was your favorite section of PE class? Mine was karate. I never took PE at Notre Dame. Did you have to do that? No. I didn't. Yeah. I transferred right. in literally the year yeah. after they ended the uh, okay. swim test requirement yeah. too. Yeah, because that was my freshman year. So I guess my when they replaced it with Moreau. So my favorite part of Moreau was learning about the history of parietals. So instead of um, doing karate and PE class, that's what it was. The history of parietals? Yeah, I don't remember what they told me, but I know that that was part of the class. What history is there? Were you going back and like, these are all the violations we've had year by year? No, just like what the rationale for having it established. It was something Catholic. I don't know. I didn't really pay a ton of attention. Well, being the scholar that I am, I actually took PE2 in high school. That's advanced physical <laughs> education. Wow. Um, yeah, definitely handball. No doubt. Okay, that's fair. I like that. And it was funny because when the day that we uh, played handball, our PE teacher, who is also like a family friend of ours, used to coach football too. He said on that day, wow, we actually haven't had any fights so far this year. It's pretty much all dudes in this class. But he's like, we haven't had any fights. I'm, I'm really proud of this class for <laughs> showing good sportsmanship and, and letting the competitive nature not overtake them. Literally that day, two guys got into a fight. One guy in the bowling team, one guy in That's the lacrosse team. They got in a fight over handball. And you, guys had a, you guys had a bowling team? Yes, we did. State wow. championship bowling team. Wow, how about that? (laughs) (laughs) All right, next one. Okay, uh, this one is pretty simple, um, somewhat repurposed. Who's got more swag, Freeman or Buckner? Shout out to our boy Ader on that one. Uh, It's Freeman, dude. Freeman, is he's got so much swag. I don't necessarily disagree, but I think that – I think Buckner's pretty calm, cool, and uh, – collected so I, I i don't think it's as big of a blowout as you think but like also it's hard to pick between the two it's also hard to get to pick against marcus freeman this might be recency bias but when you hurt your ankle and miss the spring game because you tripped down some stairs like that's okay not swaggy hey listen as a guy who has suffered from ankle ailments ailments it's sometimes you can't do anything about it it's that's no joke true. all right this one is <laughs> from our uh, friend chris miller underscore 74 how far do you see the chicago sky going this year uh, you being the Chicago resident and diehard Sky fan, what's your uh, WNBA intel? Yeah, so appreciate the question, Chris. Um, I know you were a season ticket holder before uh, your move to Atlanta. Uh, also, for everybody else out there, this guy left the, I think it was the Alabama-Kentucky game 
early the morning after so we could make it back for the WNBA finals. So really like a very big Sky fan at the time. <laughs> I went to a WNBA finals game of myself last year. Great time, honestly. Um, but listen, I, I think the Sky are going to have another great season. They hung the banner the other night, but man, Las Vegas Aces, what they got going on. Becky Hammond is putting up, they got an offense that's averaging over a hundred points a game. Like that's going to be a tough team to beat. But I, 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 you know, anything can happen in October at the Wintrust Arena. So <laughs> I guess we'll see. I'm taking the Aces because I know Asia Wilson. Yeah, there you go. And that's talking WNBA. <laughs> yeah, first time we've ever done that. <laughs> All right, next one. This one, I'll toss it to you. This is from at N underscore Waytula. What's going on with the rims at Seward Park? Oh, Did I say that right? Jeez. Yeah, you're, yeah this, is, uh, this is a point of a sour spot, uh, sore spot. Basically, there's this park, a couple – couple blocks from my apartment where we play softball on Tuesday nights, but there's also like a really big basketball complex there outdoor. And like two years ago at the start of COVID, they took all the rims down. Every other park in the city has put the rims back up except this one. And so we've just been tweeting at our glorious mayor, Lori Lightfoot nonstop. Like you got to get on this. She was hanging out with Chris Bosch a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you saw that picture. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was about this, but there's been no, you know, improvements made. So I don't know, but frankly, it's unacceptable. And uh, I, I can't wait much longer because I, I don't want to go any further west to play basketball outside. I'll leave that. <laughs> okay. All right. Last one at chillin underscore W underscore Dylan. Uh, <laughs> does the unnamed, undefeated Inner Hall football championship coach in 17 deserve a statue outside of the stadium? I mean, he's got to be the only Notre Dame alum who's undefeated in Notre Dame Stadium, right? Uh, no, no. Spencer Skip Scandal. Holtz. Skip Holtz. Skip Holtz is undefeated. At- I meant as a coach. But oh, yeah. as a coach? Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to name him. It's Jack Walsh. He's been mentioned before on this podcast. And I agree. He does deserve a statue outside of the stadium. Uh, he was my coach on that Dylan team. I think we talked about my that the two The 2 nothing barn burner. Yeah, the 2 nothing barn burner. And the thing about the 2 nothing score is that it it's actually doesn't tell the full story. The game was actually more boring than the score gives it credit for. I don't think either team advanced into the other red zone. I mean, it yeah. was just a defensive stalemate. Um, I mean, yeah, half the guys were hung over because the night before was like the last game, our last home game for us as students, for us seniors. And um, they didn't give Jack uh, Inner Hall champion or intramural, no, Inner Hall champions uh, – like dry fit T-shirt, they they denied him, which is uh, really which is bullshit. I don't think I, I don't was, think I ever knew that. Yeah, I I got one and he didn't get one. Jack, if you're listening, um, I'll give you mine, man. I'll send it in the mail. But they did not give him a T-shirt <laughs> commemorating the victory. So at the very least, I think a, a statue is necessary to to make up for that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. All right, that's all the questions we have. That's all I got. Do you have anything more you'd like to add? No, that's that's it. I'm going down to uh, to Athens the next two weeks to pick Kirby Smart's brain. Um, the defending that actually, that's not what I'll be doing now. <laughs> I, I wish, um, but yeah, I'll be uh, in the hometown of the the defending national champions for work the next two weeks. So maybe I'll pick up some stuff to bring back to South Bend. Yeah, maybe snag a recruit. Um, but that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again soon, uh, hopefully with a guest on the Notre Dame coaching staff so be sure to follow our social media accounts at sons of sat irish to stay updated on that in the meantime enjoy the start of summer we'll talk to you again soon